For the Daily Princetonian, I'm Theo Wells-Backman. You're listening to Daybreak. Today, we cover club acceptance culture at Princeton, the mounting pressure against New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez, and the disgraceful resignation of the Canadian House Speaker, Anthony Rota. It's Wednesday, September 27th. After an intense week of club recruitment, we sat down with contributing opinion columnist Vincent Jang to discuss the university's club acceptance culture. My name is Vincent Jang. I'm a junior concentrating in the School of Public and International Affairs. I'm a contributing opinion columnist. You uh, had an article come out yesterday about the club acceptance culture at Princeton. What kind of drew you to this issue and made you feel like something needs to kind of change here? Yeah, absolutely. So earlier this fall, a junior at Yale published a piece in The Atlantic which was kind of doing a large-scale expose about competitive club culture at elite universities. Um, a lot of my friends saw the article, shared it with me. I, I read it, and I thought a lot of the points made a lot of sense. I've been on the other side of the interview table for four semesters now, serving first as captain of the Princeton Model United Nations team and then president of the International Relations Council. And I kind of want to acknowledge some of the criticisms of competitive club culture raised in that piece and also push back on things that I think were unfair characterizations of the process. What do you see as kind of the central things at Princeton that you see need to change and what do you think can kind of stay the same? So the fundamental thing to to know about the way that clubs have to operate on campus is that revenue has to equal spend, right? So you have a certain amount of money coming into the club and in order to fairly spend it on existing team members, you have to put a cap on the number of team members that you allow onto that particular team. You know, it's not the sort of psychological argument of needing to over justify my place at Princeton that the piece in the Atlantic kind of insinuated. It's 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 an economic question. And I would say, actually, it, it's not an ego boost. It, it brings me tremendous pain to send out rejection emails to students who really could have made valuable contributions to the team, but simply for economic, financial reasons, we weren't able to let them onto the team. I think when it comes to things that have to change, that's a large part of what my piece talks about. I think that club leaders really need to implement a series of best practices in order to make the process as fair, as pain-free as possible for, for everyone involved. And some of the practices that I think we need to implement include democratization of the criteria. So one big issue that I think the Atlantic piece voiced was that you needed to be an expert in the field in order to gain admission to the club. And I think that fundamentally that's the wrong way of looking at it. People should be given the chance to learn from being in the club. And that's why I think it's important for club leaders to really look at fundamentals when they're assessing criteria for entry onto the team. So what are your other kind of recommendations in terms of best practices uh, to be adopted by clubs? Yeah, aside from democratization of criteria, which in my mind is one of the most important recommendations. I think that the process for admissions needs to be very, very transparent. I think that clubs should accurately describe to uh, perspectives sort of what additional gatekeeping measures are in place after a session to the club. For the Model UN team, for instance, we, we've been working really hard at being upfront this year about the fact that domestic conferences are open to any member, whereas international conference attendance is a lot more selective. And then aside from the transparency of process, I think opportunities for improvement should really be made accessible to all rejected members. A lot of clubs, when they're fighting for recruitment, when they're trying to get more people to apply, they'll host mixers, they'll host open gyms. Uh, some of the club sports I know, um, you know, encourage prospective members to come and work out with existing members. And that really dries up after admission decisions are made. And I think that's 
really stifling for people who maybe just needed a little bit more practice before they they could make it onto the team. So I would challenge selective clubs to host more open events later on in the semester to encourage perspectives to continue attending those events and thereby have a chance at improving their performance when they reapply in the spring semester of the following year. I know you were talking about kind of equity issues as well. I assume that's tied to, to that point. Yeah, absolutely. Not every public school is going to have a star debate program or a theater program. My school definitely didn't have a Model UN team before I arrived at Princeton. And so Model UN and the specific nuances of parliamentary procedure that come with it was totally new to me. But because the team captains of Piemont, when I was first applying to the team, they broke it down into fundamentals. They assured us that we didn't need to be experts in one in order to gain a session to the team. I was able to obviously succeed. And, you know, I, I, and I really wanted to bring that culture of equity during my tenure as leadership and also to broaden that message across campus. Would you have any advice for people who maybe like things didn't work out exactly how they wanted to, um, especially if, you know, they're at the beginning of their time here? Yeah, absolutely. I think the most important thing I want to say to freshmen is that this is not a judgment of your worth in any way. If you got rejected from clubs, it's simply a matter of economic considerations. It's not a judgment of the potential value that you would add to a team. I I understand if you were rejected from a club that you were really, really invested in joining. It might feel really devastating at the moment, but um, I think whatever the crucible of club accession ends up bringing to you, you'll find your place on this campus no matter what. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. You can read more of Jang's piece at dailyprincetonian.com or at the link in our show notes. In campus news, fire trucks were called to campus on Sunday for the second time this week. The fire was caused by an electric scooter that was left unattended in a Whitman College study room when its wheels began to spin out of control, causing it to collide with another nearby scooter. The collision destroyed the scooter's tire, producing considerable smoke and soot. This event came just days after an oven caught fire in Wawa, resulting in similar chaos. In national news yesterday, Senator Cory Booker called on fellow New Jersey Senator Robert Menendez to resign. Senator Booker's accusation against his colleague comes days after Senator Menendez's indictment on bribery charges. 26 other Senate Democrats have called for Senator Menendez's resignation as of yesterday evening. The allegations against Menendez include supporting Egyptian business interests in New Jersey in exchange for a Mercedes-Benz convertible, exercise machines, bars of gold bullion, and over $500,000 in cash. In international news, Canadian House Speaker Anthony Rota resigned yesterday after facing backlash for inviting Ukrainian-Canadian veteran Yaroslav Hunka, who fought for the Nazis in World War II. Hunka was a member of the 14th Waffen Grenadier Division, a Nazi SS group declared a criminal organization by the International Military Tribunal in 1946. After vocal criticism from human rights and Jewish advocacy groups, Rota announced yesterday that he would resign from his post with, quote, profound regret for his error. B'nai B'rith Canada, a Jewish organization based in Toronto, labeled Hunka's Nazi unit as quote-unquote ultra-nationalist ideologues intent on creating a quote ethnically homogenous Ukrainian state through ethnic cleansing. Rota has since apologized to the Canadian Parliament. Expect partly cloudy skies today with a high of 67 and a low of 51 degrees Fahrenheit. That's all for Daybreak Today. Today's episode was written by Zach Lee, Nivan Damjia, Fikir Bayene, and me sound engineered by Izzy Jacobson and produced under the 147th Managing Board of the Prince. Our theme was composed by Ed Horan, class of 22. For the Daily Princetonian, I'm Theo Wells-Spackman. Have a wonderful day.